0: The movie really does offer a lesson in terms of um what are we just inverting instead of transforming Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i i want to invite um my fellow scholar practitioners in the field Mm -hmm. of student affairs to think about what it what if we just um replaced with different cosmetics or inverted but not truly transformed that needs Mm -hmm. to be transformed in our work
1: Welcome to Student Affairs Now, the online learning community for student affairs educators. I'm your host of today's episode, Heather Shea. For those who are not familiar with or haven't seen the Barbie movie, we are going to be discussing themes on today's episode. If you haven't seen it, plan to, or plan to, uh, please know there are going to be spoilers ahead. And whether you loved it or hated it, Um, This movie has broken all kinds of box office records, including the biggest opening by a female director and the highest grossing movie of 2023. And like other pop culture phenomenon, I'm thinking Twilight and Fifty Shades, Barbie is going to be a topic of conversation on our college and university campuses with students this fall. In fact, one of the grad students who works in my office has already written a blog post about it, which I'll send a link to. And in a session this morning with our prevention office's peer educators, I asked how many people had seen the movie and nearly every single hand went up. Um, And yet there's a lot to unpack. So we're gonna be discussing all of these complexities with our panel today. Before I welcome our guests, uh, let me provide you a bit of background on the podcast. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in alongside or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays, and you can find us at studentaffairsnow.com, on YouTube, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity. A true partner, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. And you can stay tuned to the end of the podcast for more information about our sponsor. As I mentioned, I'm your host for today's epi- episode, Heather Shea. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am broadcasting from the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary lands of the Schenectady Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi peoples, otherwise known as East Lansing, Michigan, home to Michigan State University, where I work as the director of WSS, the Office Advancing Women and Gender Equity. So thank you to the three of you for joining me in this episode about the Barbie movie. Before we get into our discussion, I'd love for each of you to give us a brief intro and share how you come into this conversation today. Um, And I'm gonna start alphabetically with Alex. Hi Alex, (laughs) welcome back.
2: I almost responded hi Barbie like that is (laughs) that is where we're at today everybody um (laughs) pleasure to be with you all today Uh, my name is Alex Lang my pronouns are they them, I am an assistant professor um, of higher education at Colorado State University where I also coordinate the higher education leadership PhD program. I am dialing in today from the ancestral and current homelands of the Arapaho, Cheyenne and Ute nations and peoples. Um, And I think even thinking about the Barbie movie and thinking about um, settlers and land use, thinking about sort of how even the idea of Barbie land is sort of this idea of a pristine um, sort of land, but yet, had to come from somewhere, had to come at the cost of some people, and so I'm excited to sort of dig into this conversation today. Um, I'm also um, really excited to talk about this today, sort of like a budding, emerging movie buff. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I've seen 23 films in theaters this year. It's becoming like one of my newer, like intense hobbies. Um, So yeah, excited to talk about it today.
1: Thank you for joining us, Alex. Um, Keith, alphabetically you're
2: next alphabetically
3: I was what I wondered uh yeah hi everybody I'm Keith Edwards I'm usually in the host chair I get to be in the guest chair today um my pronouns are he him his and I'm coming to you from my home in Minneapolis Minnesota on the ancestral homelands of the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples I love how Alex already already did and often almost always maybe not always but often brings in a land acknowledgement and added meaning and I I try and do that myself. Um so thank you for for teaching me that Alex. Um ben. uh I I do lots of things. Uh, speaker consultant and coach keithedwards.com. I recently wrote a book about men uh which is right there unmasking and authentic masculinity <laughs> and so I was uh paying particular attention to Ken and Kens and what's going on for them in this and uh saw it with my partner and my two daughters and conversations with them and, and different takes and so um which I was gonna see but I, I I'm not a movie theater goer I love when they come out at home and you can watch them on your couch and make your own popcorn and pause when you need to go and things like that so uh but Heather said well you get to talk with these folks and I was like all right I'm going to a movie let's go I can't <laughs> wait let's go so I'm super excited I have so many thoughts and I uh, can't wait to talk about it with with these amazing folks.
1: Awesome. And Rachel, secretly, I read your Facebook post about this movie and was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I have to do a podcast about this and I need Rachel Wagner to join us. So thank you for sparking that and welcome. Welcome back.
0: For sure. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm Rachel Wagner. She, hers pronouns, I live and work and pray and play on the rightful homelands of the Cherokee Nation, the Eastern Band of Cherokee and the United Kituwah Band of Cherokee. And as an uninvited guest on Cherokee Homelands, I think a lot about what are my obligations and responsibilities to care for um, and practice the teachings and the um, values of the Cherokee peoples. Um, I invite you to do the same from your location. I think um, how I come at this, so I am a associate professor in uh, higher education and student affairs at Clemson University in Clemson, South Carolina. Um, I am a gender scholar and um, I couldn't turn it off. I very reluctantly went to the Barbie movie. I don't really have an attention span for movies anyway. That's not how my world works. Um, but my wife and my work bestie were like, just come. And so I did. And afterwards I ranted to Dr. Natasha Kroom um, about all the ways in which I um, was frustrated by the messaging in the movie. And she was like, yeah, this is why we can't have nice things. We can't, as scholars, as critical scholars, sometimes it's difficult to take in contemporary media.
4: Mm-hmm. And
0: so, um, but I I have, um, certainly had a um, vibrant and um, rich series of conversations with both family and um, colleagues about it. And so I do think that it is a um, an abundant source of mm-hmm. thinking and hopefully um, strategi- strategizing. Mm-hmm for transformative change. So I'm excited to talk about that.
1: Yes, I love that. I think that's a great kind of place for us to kick this off and start. So first impressions, um, I knew from the beginning, really nothing about this movie. Um, I had seen the logo and the picture and I knew it was in it, but other than that, I didn't know what it was about. Um, And Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you saw it opening weekend um tell me what did you think it was going to be about were you excited you know tell me a little bit about your first impressions
2: yeah absolutely so i um mentioned right before we recorded like so there was this um deal with Findango to go to a barbie blowout party on the wednesday before the movie was officially released <laughs> and a good friend of mine carmen rivera went with me um on that journey it was the week i was doing an intensive teaching but i was like i don't care i'm going to see this movie um, and that is in part because this movie has had my attention for a little over a year now. Um, mm. So that first minute and a half of the movie, that sort of uh, tribute to Space Odyssey 2001, was actually a teaser trailer back in December. And mm. then there's stuff about this movie coming out before. And I've, like, combed through the trailer. Like, i I'm perhaps a little obsessed with this movie, one could say. <laughs> and... Um, when you saw one of the first trailers, before we really get into the meat of any of the plot points or anything like that, um, there were allusions to The Wizard of Oz. There were allusions to several kinds of cultural products. So that really interests me because I'm really interested in what happens and when when we sort of use existing cultural products to make meaning of current cultural products, right? So, um, so I was excited. Um, I really thought this movie was going to be about gender in some way. Did I think it was going to radically be about gender? No. And I was just a bit delighted also because of Greta Gerwig, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, as a fan of some, her two previous movies that she's written and directed, um, Lady Bird and her interpretation of Little Women, right? I think she's really interested in relationships between and amongst women, particularly mothers and daughters, which I think happens less in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, um, I was really excited about this movie. I've seen it twice since. I'm going one more time um, before I um, reference it a lot in my student development courses for some different reasons, and we'll get into that. Um, But I think I I, I should say from the get, I'm very conscious, Mattel approved this movie. Yeah. Right? Hmm. Like, that is part of the key of any of the critique or anything I'm going to say after this, because... Yeah, Mattel allowed themselves to be made fun of for having an all-male boardroom, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mattel allowed certain things to happen in this movie. And I know we're going to talk about it later, but I have a feeling Greta Gerwig was a little bit more subversive than perhaps Mattel allowed her to be, but Mm -hmm. also still reigned her in at particular moments. So overall, um, I thought it was going to be about gender, I think it's definitely about gender in many ways and we'll get into that. Um, But I think it's actually more about the limits of gender and really honestly about the limits of white progressivism, but we'll get there. Um, So that is my uh, beginning take.
1: I love it. Mm -hmm. So Rachel, you said that you saw it reluctantly. Um, And so going in, what did you think it was about? Um, What were your first reactions, impressions as you were leaving the theater?
0: Yeah um you know I I hadn't heard much about it my wife's really the um pop culture scholar in our household and um so she probably was more informed about it i hadn't seen the trailer that alex was mentioning um and i'm i'm not a huge movie goer um uh mostly cuz i just can't sit still that long um <laughs> Which is fair. So, right, um, and I I didn't have Barbies. Um, we couldn't afford that when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was, it doesn't really hold a cultural sort of touchstone for me um, or like any kind of sense of um, nostalgia. Um, so I, I was going, Ugh, why do I have to go to this? Um, and I'm confident that it's, um, it's gonna have some things about gender. It's not going to have any kind of class analysis. And that's really where I've been preoccupied for probably the last eight to 12 months. And um, the the fact that I, there's a lot of things about Mattel as a company and as a corporation that I'm troubled by. So I, I went very reluctantly, like I don't know if I want to give my money to this. Um, and and I do think it was a strategic move to get Greta Gerwig. Um, I think mm-hmm. she brings some indie cred, yep. um, so that it's not just you know dismissed as a um, two-hour commercial for the brand.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and visually, it was stunning. Like I did appreciate that. Leaving the theater, I, um, I I don't necessarily. Um, I didn't necessarily appreciate the humor. I um, thought that the satire was mild at best. I I was really frustrated by a lot of the messaging, but um, the aesthetics of it, um, I found incredibly compelling. And so I didn't fall asleep in the movie, which is rare for me. Um, And I think that's about the visuals. So, and probably my indignance to a degree, but yeah, that's how I left the theater.
1: Thanks, Rachel. Uh, Keith saw, as you said, this at mm-hmm. my request. And I was like, Keith, we have to talk about this. We'll be on this episode. Um, so thank you for, for yeah. doing that and for taking your partner and your daughter. So I'm curious yeah. what your impressions were.
3: Well, first, my my 13-year-old daughter went with her friends, which was an on-their-own, mm-hmm. which is a new thing. So, And she came home and I was like, how is it i hear nothing but good things because i don't talk with rachel enough apparently uh i hear nothing but good things (laughs) and she just sort of smirked and said you'll really like it i'm not talking about it with you i'm not saying anything i'm not giving anything away but dad you will like it and i was like oh okay i'll wait for three months when it's on streaming and then the chance to talk with, with all of you about it. Uh, we we went out and saw the movie. Um, it's interesting because uh, we never had Barbies. I never had Barbies. My sister never had Barbies. And I think there was a class thing. We just didn't have money for that. Um, and I think my feminist mom probably wasn't into Barbies for, for lots of reasons. And my toys were whatever you could find at the auction of whoever had died in the county. Uh, that's where we got things. Um, and my kids don't really know about Barbies because we made a really conscious decision not to do Barbie, um, mo- mainly for the unrealistic expectations of beauty, um, body, blonde, white, sort of setting that up. We didn't really want to sort of imbue that. So we have very intentionally not done Barbie for that reason. But they, of course, get exposed to Barbie. They go to a friend's house and they have Barbie. And and, and my partner uh played with barbie when she was a child and uh the part she really connected with was weird barbie because <laughs> she cut her barbie's hair and she broke it like she had like that's what people who actually played with barbie i think and so her she was just delighted that they give sort of life and voice to this barbie that had sort of been not kept in that um so it was interesting. My eleven-year-old wanted to see it again because it was too much going on. She did. She was like, "I didn't. I got to see it again because I didn't. I didn't catch it. I didn't get it. I want to understand that." So she's like, "I don't have an opinion. I want to see it again to sort of catch all of that," which I certainly get. And the thirteen-year-old who saw it again, um, I don't think she's over the moon about it, but I think she thought some of those things were funny. I didn't see it as a, a critique of white progressivism. I I thought it was a movie about patriarchy that was my walk away. I don't think it was about feminism. I think it was about patriarchy and the way that patriarchy was ruining Barbie and the Barbie's life and ruining Ken and Ken's life. And when they're walking through Venice beach or whatever, and Ken gets a taste of power, it's delightful and he wants more of it. And then he gets it and it's just unsatisfying, which I think is many men's experience. Like I right, Ooh, power. That sounds great. Privilege. That sounds great. And then, Oh, I have it. And it's unsatisfying and what really struck me and i pulled out my phone which you're not supposed to do sorry alex uh and i typed it into my phone because i didn't want to forget it for this conversation is i just saw ken desperate for connection Mm. just desperate for connection and what he went from in this yearning for connection was competition like he didn't he wanted to live in the house with barbie and he took it over. Hmm. And that was unsatisfying. But what he wanted was connection. What he wanted with the other Kens was connection and they end up in a war. And I think that hmm. was such a such a clear point that his yearning for connection and then his move toward that just got manifested into competition. and then violence and the dance off and you know things like that. But um, I was just like, how much masculinity is men yearning for connection? and then Mm -hmm. competition. And I've had some really deeply personal experiences um, in the past couple of weeks where I have seen a yearning for connection turn into competition and adversarial and um, hurt and pain and anger and aggression. And then I just see this yearning for connection. And So that was really had my attention and a whole bunch of other things. We'll see how we do.
1: Reactions?
0: Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that because I didn't necessarily see Ken as being desperate for connection. Although I, I get, um, uh, I can appreciate that conclusion because I do think that there are elements of that in there. I really thought it was kind of a clumsy attempt to um, invert the male gaze. And um,
4: mm-hmm.
0: and I think that um, making Ken the object of a feminine gaze and really tying his subjectivity to whether or not Barbie acknowledged him, saw him, mm-hmm. you know, um, that that is what he existed for. I, mm-hmm. I think that it was trying to teach the viewer about the dangers um, and the um, pitfalls of um, existing as a woman, as as an object, mm-hmm. but um, it it was not executed in a way that I think maybe um, conveyed that effectively to the audience. Um, But I mean, I give them props for at least trying to go to what is that, Foucault? Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, That's fascinating.
1: Alex, do you want
2: to... Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that connective point and I think that (laughs) you know, part of this is you know, a movie also I think both of the, you know, you have Margot Robbie's stereotypical Barbie and Ryan Gosling's Beach Ken um, uh, really talking about. um, um, I think Rachel's right. I think this sort of the invert, they're trying to demonstrate the inverse of sort of these typical gender dynamics. The challenge with that is that it is not that Barbies wield their power in the same way that men have done under patriarchy in the real world, right? Like, um, and so it, it's sort of not a perfect flip. And so I can see that I appreciate that sort of piece about connection. And I think there's also a sense of just like, well, these Kens were just made in relations to Barbies, right? So it's sort of this old school um, sort of biblical interpretation of what women are to men in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Yet uh, that is not what the Barbies chose to do was not what the Kens uh, um, or what the men of the real world have done um, Mm -hmm. in some ways. So, Um, but I think there's a lot to dig into there as well.
3: And I think... And, what and the- horses. <laughs> and horses. <laughs> I think what well, you're both pointing to remind me of another thing struck It was just the binary nature, right? And from, oh, yeah. and from one power structure to another power structure and there's so much space in between and other options and mm-hmm. C and another thing. And what could this look like? It was sort of like, well, Barbie has control over Ken. Let's flip that. That, I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. it, that that was a little Perfection. simplistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm but i'm also i'm also reminded that um perhaps the the highest grossing movie of all time used the word patriarchy like two dozen times and has really for a lot of a lot of you know 13 year olds really explain what that means hmm. in an imperfect way yeah. for us um I, but um that that's a that's a, a as we're talking about the culture moment and the ubiquity and the the money and the things that's going to be a hard thing to undo, and it kind of delights me when I see so many people who are so mad about this movie because it's saying patriarchy and it's talking about these things, and I'm just like, yeah, that's it's going to be really hard to put that back in.
1: Mm-hmm. So, when I think about that message, right, and you've kind of um, the, you know started unpacking exactly what the mm-hmm. what the feminist kind of uh, perspective on this might be i never before this movie came out would I have ever in a in any of my wildest dreams considered Barbie to be a feminist icon, right? Or the Barbie movie mm-hmm. to be making a feminist statement. And I think there's lots of questions about whose feminism and mm-hmm. feminisms mm-hmm. Um, certainly are are there to discuss. But when I think about like what was Greta Gerwig trying to accomplish, was she trying to make this a feminist? like feminist manifesto Um, curious about to what extent the movie aligns with perspectives around feminism and again who's feminism you know what are we what are we exactly mean by that Um, because I don't think as many times as patriarchy was said I don't think the word feminism was said
3: Hmm. I could be wrong
0: so
1: that was was my
3: memory I could be wrong about that too but yes
0: or racism or intersectionality mm-hmm. or class mm-hmm. um so i do think that yeah it's um i really like alex's take on this is a challenge to um white progressivism um i mean it it literally is a sort of liberal feminisms um uh dreamscape of mm. you know a sort of separatist environment where um men are adjunct or not i wouldn't even say secondary but maybe tertiary yeah. um and and that's not you know to go back to you know Keith's point about the inversion um that for me is not an inversion of patriarchy that's just changing the cosmetics of it but you mm. haven't actually done anything new the hierarchy is still present um when i think about the opposite of patriarchy i think about a world that's built um in flat reciprocal interdependent Mm -hmm. ways
4: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and and
0: there wasn't a vision Mm -hmm. of that in barbie Mm -hmm. land and that's what i i think was the most um frustrated about the missed opportunity of that Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you know, I do think that it at least opens up space to ask the question of, because I, you know, I've seen a couple of folks on TikTok or whatever, talk about, a fem- you know, Barbie land is a feminist utopia, uh uh-uh, right? Mm-hmm. Not even close. That's not my feminism. No. <laughs> That's not how I think about um, the world we all deserve. Um, but I do think that, okay, if it's trying to excavate the world we have, mm. but, like, mm. invert it to, to surface it to people's um, attention, I, I I think that was her intention.
3: Could you and, talk a little bit more about the world you think we do deserve? Like, tell us more about this vision.
0: Right? I'm, like, like, I'm
3: so excited about it.
0: I know. I I was thinking cuz Heather had asked us to contemplate like how can we engage students critically in thinking about this movie without yeah. mm-hmm. necessarily leading them down a path of like you know just repeating our our individual analyses and yeah. um okay. and I think the question of um this movie had an opportunity to remake the world sans patriarchy what would that look like for you well, right um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe there are ways we could prime folks to be able to think about that in incredibly expansive ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are ways you could nuance it and say, um, remake the world sans patriarchy and maybe sans gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would that look like? How, mm-hmm. how would it feel? Right. How would it feel to wake up in a world and know that everyone around you has had their needs met psychologically, mm-hmm. materially, mm. right, um, meaningfully? That they're doing, they're taking up work and projects that are life giving. What would it be to wake up in a world like that,
3: where you wouldn't have to fight for connection? Mm-hmm. Right? You could just ask for it, mm-hmm. or yep
4: tell where
2: things are not conditional right on who right. you are where you've come from these kinds of pieces right and i think you know i think this movie hmm, do i want to say that hmm, we'll see um You know, I think this movie is trying to be like the old headlines of everydayfeminism.com, which I found a really great and powerful resource for me as I was coming into feminism, right? So that's not a dig at everyday feminism, but it is to say that this movie, I think, is talking feminism, but I don't know if it's doing feminism, right? Mm -hmm. I think it has some signals and flares of what is happening. And part of that, right, I think... You know, I'm a nerd, so I was like, let me do some research before we have this conversation today. And part of this is like Ruth Handler, who is featured in the movie, um, uh, um, is as the creator of Barbie, you know, wanted a doll that could be anything for a girl or a woman to imagine herself in
4: mm-hmm. our
2: current world,
4: mm-hmm. right?
2: Mm-hmm. That's why there's a president Barbie, played wonderfully by Issa Rae, um, who because we have a president, right? Like, so part of this is that in some ways, Barbie is limited by our own current formation of society, right? So in some ways, I think Rachel's right that, like, in many ways, this movie could have radically reimagined the world that we were in. And yet part of Barbie's challenge is Barbie is not about a liberatory consciousness. Barbie is not about, like, breaking out of and thinking in brand new ways, perhaps weird Barbie is, and maybe that's a particular avatar to talk through a bit more, Mm. (laughs) but that in the confines of Barbie, Barbie only exists to be a current astronaut who goes to the moon and not a new galaxy because we can't go to new galaxies as humans yet, right? So like there is this constraint that is working in, but it didn't have to. Um, But yeah, I think this is the telling of this movie mm-hmm. right that mm-hmm. like there are particular constraints around it that have to abide by certain rules which come from patriarchy and oppressive thinking right mm-hmm. um so yeah i but
0: think did it, did it even yeah. do the real world alex because i i mean like mm-hmm. what parts of the real world did it do you know <laughs> well, and, like, this,
2: it, and this is not I think...
0: depicting the southern hemisphere who's actually producing correct. barbies in correct. factories correct
2: yes like, California was a particular choice, right? Like, yes. this movie could have gone anywhere yeah. in the world when we sort of have that wonderful montage of going from Barbie Land to the real world, right? Mm-hmm. But it chose a particular place, a particular set of people to focus on. And I think in some ways, it, my one of my main dings about this movie sort of conceptually is that... Um, Gloria and Sasha, so America Ferrera's character and our Greenblatt's character, I thought actually deserved much more time and could have actually been the vehicle for this conversation, right? Mm. I am most in some ways annoyed at America Ferrera's monologue scene because it is the... Um, sort of talking feminism moment, right? Be- yes. Instead of, mm-hmm. yes. can we yes. actually have spent time with America Ferrer's yes. character to understand how feminism does and does not currently appreciate her experience in the way this movie is trying to talk about feminism, mm-hmm. right? So she would, I could have seen a world where we spent maybe not to extend the movie any further, Rachel, but to uh, think about for 15 to 20 more minutes, spending more time with America Ferreira's character to understand how this beauty standard has affected her. Like, right, she's doing a lot of telling at us, but rather, and I think mm. the power of film in particular is mm. the showing of these experiences that then could make that monologue actually feel like um, a culminating point rather than a launching point yeah. of sort of what uh, her character was experiencing and talking about. And part of why I say this movie is really sort of a fantasy of the limits of white progressivism is because in Barbie world, all you got to do is say the right thing. No. Right? <laughs> like part of it is that America Ferrera <laughs> in this... And this wonderful montage scene that ends with this Matchbox 20 scene that I will say I laughed at quite hard, Um, the guitar playing scene between Mm -hmm. all of them. Um, But part of it is just, oh, I just got to stick a person, I got to tell them exactly what's happening in the world. And once I do that, they're going to realize and immediately come to my perspective. And that is just not how Mm -hmm. liberatory thinking works right mm-hmm. and part of that is again i think all of these pieces that are trying to i think this movie tries to be substantive on a lot of things all at the same time and i wonder if it had just picked one or two things to be substantive about if things might have been different
1: mm-hmm. for those parts mm-hmm. weren't the parts that were cut right like yeah. i think about <laughs> yeah. that 20 minutes and how powerful that would be potentially so so i I I was super
3: can i just say about that that monologue i was super excited about it because i had you know i don't want the spoilers i'd read snippets and i heard you know for many people that was like their stand up and cheer moment and i and Mm -hmm. i got it i was like oh she's talking a lot this must be it i'm so excited and i was like oh well the double bind of feminism like that was that's the thing Mm -hmm. And I, in the moment, I was like, well, let's let's hear Ken talk about his double bind, you know, about all the trappings of, you know, pressure, masculinity, and I wasn't even hopeful, I just kind of yearned for that. Um, And then I I was sort of sharing that on our drive home. And I, and I said, um, but I've, I've had a lot of learning about that to get me to be. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, duh, like that was mine. And a lot of people haven't had that experience. We had a conversation, Mom Kapati said that was a moment. Yeah. Her disappointment in that monologue was a moment of her own privilege and all the learning she'd been able to do mm-hmm. and know and read and, and things like that. And so I, I think that for me, that was sort of a letdown moment. But I think for for many folks, that was an aha moment. And, and I appreciate the aha moment for those folks and what it offers. Mm-hmm.
0: I think and I think there's definitely a, an epistemic privilege around um, having having an analysis that goes beyond that monologue. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Dr. Yeah. Akapatis dead on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think though that it's still a monologue that's rooted in choice feminism. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's it mm-hmm. um, assumes individualist values. Mm -hmm. and uh, that's not uh, that's not intersectional Mm -hmm. and it's certainly not um the um value system for i would offer most of the world um and so uh, that's why i think you know alex's point about a sort of fantasy of progressivism white progressivism is so well taken Mm. um because and and then let's not even get into the ending and her leaving Barbie land and landing in a gynecologist's office. Um, again, it's like, we're gonna foreground this individual choice as the sort of mm. liberatory aim mm-hmm. of this narrative. And mm. sorry to cut you off, Heather. No, 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 that's
1: good. That's I, I wanna get into that piece um, in particular and I, and I want to go also to this idea that this is already becoming a cultural moment um, and positively or negatively. Just, just
3: wait
2: till Halloween.
3: He, it is gonna be um... <laughs> Barbie and Ken everywhere.
2: Oh my gosh, it's gonna be so much. It's, it's right gonna be the Ted so Lasso of
3: this year. I I think
1: you know on our college and university campuses, how many fraternities are gonna rename themselves oh. the Mojo
0: Dojo Casa Houses, right? And
1: don't are... give
3: them these ideas.
0: <laughs> just, Did you see I, the picture from P Town?
3: No. Have no.
4: no.
0: you seen that? There was a picture of um ken's mojo house um and one of the houses in p-town and it had um a big decorative banner no barbies allowed Mm. yeah can't have nothing nice yeah nothing (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) we'll drop it in the show notes yeah yeah thank you thank you
1: so as we talk to students though right like there's there's going to be conversation there already is conversation mm-hmm. among students and I think you know we're recording this episode um right at the beginning of the fall 2023 semester this movie was the moment of the summer mm-hmm. um and so what do we do with this how, how do we you know both engage students in conversation also help them kind of critically analyze it not tell them what to think but kind of move through conversation. Cause that is something I would love some additional help with. I mean, I work in a women's mm-hmm. center, right. And we have been talking about the Barbie movie. I feel like almost nonstop since it came out. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's an opportunity and also like there's a really interesting kind of thing mm-hmm. to unpack there. So I'd love to hear thoughts on that. What do we do? I mean, that? I
3: just, I don't have deep thoughts. I just think it's it's meeting them where they're at. You know, like mm-hmm. if patriarchy is a new awareness and they don't understand the male gaze and and seeing Ken and Barbie have a different experience watching it on the sidewalk is an aha moment, then great. And, and and engage there. If they're frustrated with the lack of liberation feminism, then awesome. Let's engage there. But I think mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we often do as educators is we engage in the conversation we want to have.
4: Mm-hmm. rather
3: than what mm-hmm. the student the mm-hmm. learner is um not wanting right because i think we can we can challenge a nudge but where 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 are you engaging with that um and i think just my small and my 13 year old and my 11 year old i can't have the same conversation about this movie with them because they're very different places one is just trying to like what just happened from Mm -hmm. like a plot perspective. And Mm -hmm. the other is like, okay, I get it. I understand. But what is some of this? And these are some good examples. I've not had those experiences yet. Um, But yeah, meeting people where they're at and and seeing where you can move from there is sort of my first thought.
1: Alex, Rachel, what what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, one, I think we're particularly, I mean, let me back up. We're at a time in higher education where we are competing with so many things attention-wise student, for student learning and development, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are competing with online courses. We are competing with TikTok. We, like, so in some ways we use cultural products like Barbie to entice people to our programs, to yeah. our discussion, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I think one thing I always take from my learning with Sherry Watt is to think about Barbie as a, uh, uh, the movie as a third thing, right? This thing that we can interrogate that is separate from all of us, um, that we can sort of create shared meeting about in some way. So I think there are ways to sort of be like, (laughs) like, right, use this to our advantage to sort of help entice people to um, discussions and forums, but I think it's just not about having a one-off thing. Now, let me be very clear. I'm not also calling. I'm actually kind of thankful that we Twitter is in some ways or X has died in some ways, because I'm sure if it had the same popularity it did a year ago, the Barbie syllabus would be floating around mm-hmm. somewhere. Oh. And I'm sure there is a Barbie syllabus somewhere. Um, but that's not the intensity I'm looking for either. I'm thinking about like Um, you know, I used to work with the intercultural aid program at Michigan State University. And these are students who would design round table discussions about different topics each week. So let's talk about like, you can have a whole theme semester about Barbie beginning with the kind of world we want to live in. What do like relationships look like? What does genuine apology look like? You know, I think the Mm -hmm. thing that rubbed me a little icky in this movie as well, in addition to the, the speech was like, Ken never really apologizes for almost like upending Barbie land, right? Not that the Barbie land was perfect or a utopia or anything like that to begin with, but like this idea that, um, there, that sort of the restoration of the harm never really occurred. It just happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, how do, I think there are several ways to use this as a vehicle to talk about more liberatory worlds, to talk about more interdependence, to talk about all of these pieces. Um, and I think, as Keith's saying, like, it's really about sort of like finding where students want to lead the conversation with as a way of sort of meeting them in that space to really talk about these things in a meaningful way. And then um, pushing it from there right exactly
0: yeah i um i love both of those And in addition to the sort of um visioning that i was talking about earlier i think um with students and um with colleagues problem posing and frary's approach to what does this remind you of how does this Mm. how did Mm you know, what did you have a major reaction to? How is that similar or different than your experience? And beginning to interject um, ways in which um, asymmetrical power systems are maybe influencing folks' reactions to um, pieces of what was in the movie or not in the movie is um, is always a fertile place for conversation. Um, I also think that um, you could start from uh, disciplines, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about students in health science or nutrition science or any really um, biological science, pre-med, pre-health advising field, um, talking about the ways that um, food was addressed in the movie. Mm -hmm. She never eats except and it's a joke and so she's tipping this empty milk carton back and um and body image and Mm -hmm. what that says about um women and relationships to food for instance I think from a disciplinary lens you could come at very different pieces um so I think that could be a starting place for conversations and, and to invite folks um to take a um an an inquiry stance on um, how does your your um, schoolwork and your um, discipline um, trouble um, problematize affirm or extend the messaging in these pieces? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that could be very interesting too.
2: Oh yeah, I think like I teach student development next semester. For instance, like. When I talk about self-authorship in my classes, um, I usually talk about the three dimensions being the Whitney Houston dimension for her song How Will I Know, uh, mm-hmm. Casey Musgraves for the interpersonal dimension, the Spice Girls for the Interpersonal Dimension. But I think part of the extension of this work is to Your enrollment just went and- up. You just got a whole <laughs> new enrollment. I have a lot of pop culture reference in my in my courses. And um you know, one of the things I think actually is a good lesson from this movie I'm going to pull forward is that one could espouse and sort of say critical worldviews about the world. Like Barbie in some ways has like this knowledge of like, oh, well, we fix everything in the real world because we exist now. And like that, our creation has changed Mm. this dramatically. And you can say all the right things, but you're actually Mm -hmm. still pretty externally defined just because someone told you Mm -hmm. that was the case. And then Mm. she goes to the real world and sort of has this experience of like, oh, that's not how things necessarily <laughs> work, right? And so part of that is like her having to more internally define in some ways if you're taking sort of the 2001 original Marsha Vex from study. But I think there are other scholars who have come through since to sort of talk about like how even being internally defined is about being interdependently connected to others. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also, you know, the the point in the movie where we sort of get to the matrix reference that weird Barbie does between the Birkenstock and the heel of like, which one do you want? And she immediately chooses the heel, which is a perfect example of what people do with cognitive dissonance. They don't want to actually face it deeply. They want to resolve it quickly. Right. And Uh so in some ways, right. Uh Like, that um, and shout out to uh, a friend group of mine of Ray, Tara and Nick, who helped me test some of these ideas in our presentation night when I did the thing about Barbie. But part of this is that um, there are some real lessons about human development in this movie that are really transferable to a number of contexts to really sort of dig into in a really fun but meaty way at the same time.
0: love that.
2: Wow. Keith, what
0: would you add? No, I just said I love that.
1: Oh, good, good.
0: <laughs>
1: Keith, what would you add? Anything?
3: Uh I would just I, I'm stunned about the uh, the different musical acts and student development theory and self-authorship. <laughs> yeah. I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant.
1: So there there's, there's a, two concepts that I wanted to spend just a minute of time talking about, um, which is first is Alan. We haven't talked about Alan at all. Yet. And I've seen some TikToks that have kind of unpacked, you know, how mm-hmm. Alan is read. What does Alan represent? Is Alan the like, you know, person playing, you know, alongside, you know, where, what role does Alan play? And then we've, we have talked a bit about Weird Barbie, but the fact that it's like cast as weird, like that, that's, that also kind of troubled me a little bit. Um, so I'd love to hear any thoughts on either Alan or
3: uh, Weird Barbie. Well, I'll just start quickly. Uh, my partner Love Weird Barbie, really connected with that, called mm-hmm. her Barbie Weird Barbie two decades before the movie. And so that mm-hmm. really landed and resonated. And I, I just didn't get Alan. I, I, I didn't get it. I don't understand it. I'm not sure what was going on there. Uh, so I'd love other people's excellent analysis. I,
0: you know, my wife and I were talking about Alan is a, um, a performance of non toxic masculinity,
4: mm-hmm.
0: right? Mm. And is is supposed to be a juxtaposition against Ken's um, within Barbie Land, and I I think that um, if I can you know force myself to go this movie again probably wait until it's streaming (laughs) um we we might write something about that because i I do think that there is Mm. um you know some folks have coded alan as queer and i think and i think that a lot of times um homophobia gets um cued as masculine right in hegemonic Mm. ways at least and so i can appreciate how people have gone there but i i don't think that um Alan represents a queer character I think um Mm -hmm. it it's not a hegemonically masculine character and I think the queer character is Kate McKinnon and weird Barbie Mm -hmm. um and certainly in terms of queer is non-normative right Mm -hmm. Mm and um and and so sort of problematizing um stereotypical Barbie right um and and uh uh hegemonic um, Barbies. So, um, and I, you know, I, I haven't fully come to my analysis of that because I my at first glance, I was annoyed that queerness was introduced as um, like, mildly revolutionary um and non-normative and not as the like um disruptive force that I cherish it to be Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm -hmm. (laughs) I kind of went in that direction Mm -hmm.
2: no I appreciate that point about Alan because I agree Rachel I don't I think I've seen like a lot of TikToks in particular that have been like Alan represents like a queer uh a queer figure or like represents this figure that often is um in um, solidarity with women, but doesn't know how to express it in many ways, Mm -hmm. right? And I think the non-toxic presentation, right? Because the idea of Alan, when Alan came out as a doll was that, oh, Alan just wear, can wear all of Ken's clothes Ken and clothes. he's Ken's buddy. And like, even like the idea that he's Ken's buddy is like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They sleep together, everybody. Right. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, that is, you know, there are buddies that don't sleep together, everybody. That's that sometimes it's not a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this movie is a really interesting example of how queer aesthetics Are used because I think that's part of the appeal of its production design that Rachel was talking about earlier, right? Like, this is a very colorful, a very vibrant, a very unapologetically visually presenting movie that, Mm. in some ways, is queerness abound. But there's almost no queer person in it, um, and so that is, except I think Weird Barbie is in many ways doing a lot of non-normative work all at once. Like she is, uh-huh. she is elder. She is the wisest. But she's the weirdest. And then she thus lives like in some castle, uh townhome, open concept design, very far <laughs> from all the other Barbies. Right. Um, but she does the I splits mean,
1: all day. <laughs>
2: yeah. And I mean, like, you know, I perhaps once in my life I could do those splits no longer. Mm-hmm. But um I think that um she she's become and then she becomes the haven for the Barbies and the dolls who have not bought into the patriarchy that Ken has brought back, mm. right? So like, she's tr- Weird Barbie is doing a lot of work in this film and let's be very clear, Kate McKinnon is not an unattractive person to be playing mm. Weird Barbie either, right? So there's still a particular like visual, uh, conventional beauty standard still being used mm. at the same time that weird Barbie is sort of meant to be non-normative in so ways. But also I love Kate McKinnon. And so like great character choice in many Mm -hmm. ways too, at the same time. Mm
1: -hmm. I think I read something that she and Greta Gerwig are really good friends or were roommates or something like that. Mm. Like there was some like previous connection there. Um, Mm. I I too did a little bit of research in in advance. And one of the things that I did was I went to Mattel's website um, and I saw on their website that there's actually a page uh, called We Are Barbie, the most diverse doll line, in which is like apparently a work that's been in progress and was part of what Greta Gerwig was referencing in this like enthusiasm for doing this movie. Was that this has been something that they've been working towards since 2015, um, and yet there I like we've already talked a bit about that. Like there's just you know the queer and trans representation in this movie is is it, like. Again, maybe as you said, Alex, it's because of Mattel's like layers of approval. But you know, let's talk a little bit about the representation piece, of, of, you know, around queer and trans identities, and also around you know race and able-bodied and size and all of all of the other things that they I think they were trying to do. Maybe put, put too many things in at once. Mm-hmm. Um, love to hear a little bit of your thoughts on that.
2: i mean this is maybe more of an insider joke i will share the fact that they made the uh one trans woman who was playing a barbie in this movie be the dj i was like wow that actually is representation right there (laughs) because a lot of trans women are djs um but otherwise i think this movie you know for the most part, really stuck to gender and not sex, right? Which I think is actually the inverse problem that we usually have in cultural Mm. products like this. And that at the end of the movie brings it to this sort of like... Gender then determines sex um sort of destiny piece Moment. here mm-hmm. that she's going to the gynecologist. And I think, you know, I hadn't thought about it in that way until I saw sort of some of the pre-show notes and, and Rachel's post because I've sworn off Facebook. Um, but I think part of that is that yeah, again, usually we have an inverse problem. And in this, so this movie in some ways has done a lot of the inverse work of um but I don't know if it's done it so cleanly. And I think that's okay, ultimately, right? I don't think this movie is trying to be the the great awakening for anybody at all. And I think that, um, again, queer aesthetics use not many queer people at all, or they're queer coded, but never named as such, right? And that could be the metallification, that could be a directorial choice, that could be, we didn't even think about this. but it does have an effect of sort of saying like if Barbie truly can be anyone There you go. I don't know if she can be yeah. in this vision of Barbie. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: I, t- to me it was it was a huge missed opportunity uh, around queerness and transness and gender expansiveness to show not just the binary thinking, not just the inversion, not just it's either this way or, 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 the opposite of that way, that there's so many more possibilities around gender, around power, around way we live our lives. There's in between, there's both. And, and I think there's just so many opportunities there, um, for, for expanding gender, for expanding ways of being, for expanding ways of living your life, for expanding ways of being in connection, um, and And that's not just for for trans folks or queer folks, but what do straight folks? What do cisgender folks have to learn from queer and trans folks about more expansive ways of gender? I think there's just mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. learning possibility there mm-hmm. to connect with authenticity from people who are breaking the rules. Um, but why you don't have to follow the A option or the B option. Look, you can you can figure this out for yourself, which I think is where I'm super excited. I think that was that was missing for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I saw the um ending as um okay, Barbie has a vagina, so she's a real woman and she's going to the gynecologist. And aside from the turfy ickiness around that mm-hmm. um trans-exclusionary radical feminisms, um I there's also a way in which invoking the health system, which, mm-hmm. which uh, or the mm-hmm. health industrial complex, has not been particularly um, uh, kind, affirming, or um, mm-hmm. useful for folks mm-hmm. who are outside of the sex binary, uh, but certainly outside of the gender binary, mm-hmm. and and frankly, who aren't men, because mm-hmm. when you think about the ways in which Um, you know, women continue to be, um, excluded from, um, uh, medical studies or limited in, um, uh, foundational studies that are driving, like how pharmaceuticals are prescribed. Um, the, I don't know if one of the, um, I think it's PrEP, one of the HIV, um, uh, prescriptions. Um, you know. Doctor Br- Britt Williams has pointed out how those trials, um, have excluded women,
4: mm-hmm.
0: um, as though women don't get AIDS, and in particular, Black women don't get AIDS.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I, I think about just invoking the healthcare system, um, as as a final sort of, um. This is the choice that she's making. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was a part of me that was excited that she wasn't walking into the boardroom because right. I thought, good yeah. job, not like continuing the capitalist <laughs> narrative
4: mm-hmm. right.
0: um and and kind of, you know, pulling at the girl boss sort of thread that goes through what constitutes feminism in this world. but um, but also, really the doctor's yeah.
1: office we're gonna start we're um, gonna end there
0: yeah right um i do think that it was um particularly repugnant i think to folks who um find themselves um oppressed by gender yeah. and um and i i just didn't understand the choice um i really don't know what, what that part was trying to accomplish i i appreciate your point, Alex, about usually we're on this sort of, like, um, essentialist determination that sex drives gender, and now it's inverting it to gender-driving sex. I hadn't considered that, Hmm. and I think that that's really um, illuminating, but again, it falls flat, right? Just inverting Mm -hmm. things doesn't -hmm. doesn't really evoke change. Right. Mm
2: -hmm. Right. Mm And it, it can mm. begin something. It can begin to spark ideas of what this looks like, inverse perhaps, and maybe that's, for some people, is an initial crack in the wall, right? But- um, and, I mean, it, it was also an interesting choice to me because right before that scene, we have the scene with stereotypical Barbie and Ruth Handler, right? Where mm-hmm. I expected great, like, Ruth Handler sort of holds out her hands and says, let me show you what it means to be real. And honestly, truly in my soul, the first time I watched this movie, I was like, oh God, we're going to see a bunch of sexism, right? Like I thought like, oh, this is about to be what happens. And yet- it is all of these moments of beautiful joy and connection between women. And like, that is what life in some ways could be differently. I think that was actually some of the most utopic work of the movie Mm. was to be like, to be alive, to be a person is about ultimately having moments of connection and joy and fun fact um all of that footage was um requested by greta gorwick of the film's crew so like that mm. is their families their mothers like women in their lives right it's such a and, like when oh. i saw that the second time oh. i like wowed even harder right yeah. um, but all that to say that like I really thought the movie was like, okay, we're actually gonna finally show you sexism because in some ways it blunts sexism in the real world. Cause I think this movie was trying to be appealing to a lot of people um, Mm -hmm. in many ways, right? And so like the joke about when she gets to the real world and she sees sort of, I think it's the sort of Miss America equivalent. And she's like, oh, that's a Supreme court or whatever. And like, we all laugh because we know that's not the Supreme court. That's not how things work in this Mm -hmm. world. Um, and I was like, okay, they're going to finally do it here, but they don't, they make an interesting different choice, which I thought was fun. And then go to this choice, which I was mm-hmm. like, ah, but there was this, like, I, I was crying because <laughs> I, I don't need to keep crying and I could laugh, but, but there was some, maybe perhaps something else to do there than mm-hmm. that choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Favorite. And most cringy point. I think we've talked we've talked about some cringy points, but favorite parts of the movie, if there was one, for you, Rachel, I'll let you think. Well, um, Keith and Alex <laughs> respond if there's if there's anything that really stuck out for you. Um, you named already. I loved the montage moving, uh, you know, from Barbie Land to the real the real world. Um, I thought those were great, and the Indigo Girl scene. Um, right, like I was like, oh, so so awesome. that was a that was a nice kind of nod, I
0: thought. Uh, I cringed at the um, the joke about smallpox. Mm-hmm. I don't think yes. death and Erasure is funny mm-hmm. of indigenous populations, and the fact that it preceded that monologue and mm-hmm. not very many folks outside of um indigenous authors are talking about it, I think is is cringy. Um I I too loved, I mean, I'm a um indigo girls um person from the (laughs) eighties. So (laughs) I loved that part and I loved the aesthetics. I the opening scenes, um uh the picturesque quality I thought was phenomenal. I could have lost any of the musical numbers, but you know,
3: I'm a killjoy. (laughs) uh for me the moment i love more than any other was realizing that the tender memories were not the child's but the parents Mm. Uh, Mm. yeah Yeah. i'm teary just now re-remembering it but that as a parent of Mm -hmm. 11 and 13 who are moving out of childhood and into whatever the hell is next that moment of that moment was mom's memory of connection of play mm. and yearning for that was just so unbelievably relatable mm-hmm. to me
2: mm. yeah the the moment i will never fail to laugh at in this movie um so another fun fact about this movie i've, I've perhaps be, again been a little obsessed with it um so the four girls who barbie sees at the high school right um they're actually the names of the original bratz dolls um <laughs> in that scene um but after they basically like read stereotypical barbie to filth Right. She's like crying outside and she's like, she called me a fascist and I don't even control the railways or the means of commerce. And like I, as a nerd, <laughs> die at that line. I think I yeah. laughed the loudest in my theater mm-hmm. both times I saw that part. Um, so it is one of my favorite just jokes of this movie. But I agree with Rachel, like the aesthetics are just gorgeous. Those roller skates somehow looking immensely plastic, but yet usable incredible Mm -hmm. absolutely incredible um and i i i mean the ken beachoff scene will always be funny to me as well because i'm just simple i was
3: the only one laughing i was like what is wrong with me am i 12 for the rest of my life
2: i mean i i hope to be 12 at some point in my life i think i am younger than that um but it was yeah it was just a visually stunning movie
1: yeah yeah well we are nearing end of time. We maybe have gone over time. I am so grateful for all of your um, your wisdom expertise, bringing your perspectives to this. I'd love to hear some final thoughts. Um, what are you leaving with? Questioning, pondering? You know, our, our podcast is called Student Affairs Now. We kind of always end with this question. Um, and we'll go opposite direction this time. How about Rachel? Do you want to give us your final thoughts first?
0: I think... Um... The movie really does offer a lesson in terms of um, what are we just inverting instead of transforming mm-hmm. and uh-huh. i I want to invite um my fellow scholar practitioners in the field mm. of student affairs to think about what if what if we just um replaced with different cosmetics or inverted but not truly transformed that needs mm. to be transformed in our work.
3: Mm. I love that, uh, Keith. Well, I, I I love that, and I think one of the things I've been thinking through this conversation is that we we had a an anti-oppression, but not an intersectional anti-oppression analysis, just like a an anti-sexism sort of peek in. And I'm always thinking that's important, but what's the liberation vision? And I think Rachel <laughs> offered us offered us that, and I think. Maybe Gregory will do Barbie 2 that offers that. What, what what are all the possibilities? What's expansive? What, what do um, different things look like? Um, but I guess I was also struck uh, about sort of the very Buddhist lessons about impermanence in the movie and that change is inevitable and you can't hold it back. And uh, just uh, that lesson keeps popping up for me again and again that that the change is going to be here. And if you just long for to go back to other times, how do, how do you move forward with what is um, instead of fighting what is? Mm-hmm.
4: Powerful.
1: Thing. Alex? Final
2: I think to add to the two sides of the triangle, that Rachel and Keith have already formed, I think, you know, for me, this movie is about the limits of what representation means, right? And I think this is just the inverse Mm -hmm. of sort of what Mm -hmm. Rachel is offering Mm -hmm. and what Keith is offering is that if we just sort of, mm, I think we think about this with college presidents and leaders all the time. Well, if we hire a woman, if we hire a person of color, if we hire Mm -hmm. someone with some marginalized background, Mm -hmm. that's a great win because we see ourselves represented in some ways and i think that representation for those who've never had it or have never experienced it in a critical mass that is a really powerful thing i'm never going to deny that to people ever and and representation does not get us liberation Right. Like it in many ways just sort of says mm-hmm. we like everything that's working currently. We just need to make people look different. Or like, you know, political pundits will say, make it look like America or make it look like X thing. Right. Um and that um Oftentimes, and this has sort of been empirically talked about, has been the people who are often the first in those roles, who then become the representatives, in many ways have had to adopt the perspectives, the abilities, the ways of thinking of those in dominant mm-hmm. roles to get to that place, right? Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I think Greta Gerwig is going to be able to make whatever movie she wants to make now after yeah. this. And I'm, I'm very excited about that possibility. Um, but I think this movie um, really demonstrates how representation has a place, but is not the strategy, is not the win, ultimately, um, in any movement for justice or liberation.
1: I can't wait to have the citations uh, and the transcript from this episode, so we can <laughs> like moments of of just re- you're brilliant, so thank you for all of your time today for, for jumping on this conversation during what's a really busy time of the year. Um, and I just and in closing, sending our heartfelt appreciation to our dedicated behind the scenes work of our producer Nat Ambrosi, um, and also to the sponsor of today's episode Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state of the art technology that empowers institutions. To make data driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well being, student success and accessibility services. And you can learn more by visiting simplicity.com or connect with them on Facebook, I guess X, and LinkedIn. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's Twitter in my script. Um, please take a moment to visit the website and then click on that sponsor's link to learn a little bit more. And while you're there, if you're not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please subscribe. And you can also view all of the episodes in our archives, which is growing up to 170, I think we're at now episodes. Um, and again, I'm Heather Shea. Thanks again to our listeners, everybody who's listening and watching, and especially to our panelists today, make it a great week, everyone.